You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life family. How are you guys doing? Amazing. It's rainy outside, nothing else to do. Might as well come to church. So I said, glad you guys are here. I'm excited. My name is Josh. I am the uh, Moscow campus pastor. Honored to be here with you guys today. We are wrapping up our Sermon on the Mount series. And then for the next four weeks after this, we're diving into our vision series as a church. What are we doing? How are we doing? You know, a life not inspected might not be a life not worth living. And a church not inspected for us to inspect the fruit of how we're doing. What are the cool things that are happening in our church? Are we still what we're about? What's happening? And so how can you be a part of that? How, you are a part of it. How can you be a part of it? Do you feel like you're fil- fulfilling your role? All those things. It's going to be super cool. I'm excited about the vision series. But today, we're going to put a little bow on top of the Sermon on the Mount. Just something we started, I think, at the beginning of summer, right? And what a blessing it has been. What, so many great messages. I went back this last week, and I was listening to a bunch, and then... I got to listen to Aaron's message. He preached here on Thursday when I was uh, at my daughter's volleyball game, and I listened to that five times yesterday, and it was pretty darn awesome. So hopefully, if this isn't, we can get that for you. Um, but we're going to give it a run. So excited to be here with you guys. Let's dive in to the text here. Um, and we're in Matthew 7, 24 through 29. So All the stuff we've been talking about. You know, when a speaker says something at the very end, it's kind of like they're like, let's drive this home, everybody. And so this is what the Lord chooses to to use to drive everything that he said for the past however many weeks of our sermon and all this stuff. But this is what he says. He says, everyone then who hears these words, what words? So I need some Bible scholars real quickly to help me out in here. What words are we talking about? These words. So why in the world are all of my words from Matthew 5 when we start out in the Beatitudes? You guys, I'm sure you can see this because I can barely see it from here. But that's like a different color. And so that was chapter 5. Wait a minute. Six, seven, more red. So what are the red words? Jesus words, right? So that must be the words that he's talking about. I'm no Bible scholar, but that must be the words he's talking about are these words. So everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, which would be ortho proxy, right? Ortho, ortho proxy, who actually does these words, practices out. You guys remember that from, was that last week? Ortho proxy, whoever does these words will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Not the rock, the actor, but like a rock. You could build a house on him. He's a pretty big guy, but anyway. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words, which we've been in here hearing these words, you have them in your Bible, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall 
of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had shmikah. Say shmikah because it's fun to say. Shmikah. I think that's how I pronounce it. You might have just said it wrong. I don't know. Um, He has authority. He was, they were amazed at this yoke of teaching. You know, even to this, to this day, there's like 20 people who had shmikah that were Jewish rabbis. And they were like, wow, he's one of them. He's, and not as their scribes. So he just threw it down and they were astonished. So let's look at this a little bit from a, a context standpoint. Um, Rock versus sand. You know, yesterday as I was cleaning up the fire pit area of, of my backyard there and I was staining the, the seats that I probably should replace anyway around the fire pit, but all my, the stuff around the fire, fire pit is like bricks and pavers, you know, those little paver bricks. And some of them were like off kilter and like not level. And so I dug a couple of those out because that's what you do when you're staining a deck. You throw sand in the air, I guess. Um, and so I dug a couple of those out, and I was pounding it down, pounding, trying to get flat. Oh, there's a root from the tree. The tree was messing it up. But you know what was around all these pavers? Sand. Well, I thought sand was, and I'm getting ready to preach this sermon. I was listening to Aaron's sermon. I thought sand is, like, bad to build on. You know what's underneath your garage? Your concrete floor? What they use to firm it all up? Gravel and sand, right? The builder's sand is not bad to build on. And so what are they talking about? What's the context behind this? You know, these folks that we're talking about are desert people. They have one word for water, lots of word for, words for dirt, and two words for sand. So let's take a look at some pictures so you can see what maybe their perspective. You're sitting there as, uh, as a Jew and you're listening to Jesus and he's talking about that you should build your house on rock and not on sand. So this is at like the uh, Mount uh, Timnah, I believe, in the southern part of Israel. If you go with Aaron to Israel... You won't see this. I'd love to do that just because every time he says, you will see this, come with me and I'll show you. Well, he's not going to show you this one because it's like three and a half or four hour bus ride down for one cool thing and you'd miss too many other things in the meantime. So we're going to show it to you. See, you've been there. Very nice country, as you can tell, very similar to the Palouse. Lots of beautiful, lush green fields and all this other stuff. And what these folks are hiking up is what's called a wadi. And if you can see on the left side here, this is pretty good rock hard rock uh, that's there, but down there it looks kind of gravelly and sandy. Let's go to the next picture. So this is all of the water that falls. These rocks don't really absorb water very well, so it just all flows down into these wadis. And they have these things called wadi floods. You can actually like look them up on YouTube and it's pretty cool. You know what's not cool is that 20, 20 students lost their lives a couple months ago in a wadi flood. Happens so fast. They say if you hear the water, you have seven seconds to get to high ground. It sweeps away car. It sweeps away all kinds of stuff. It is just bang. Because the storm could have happened a long ways away. But the water's got to go somewhere, and it comes. So when you think about... Next slide. Can you imagine... Water flooding through there and you just getting swept up. Is that a good place to build at the bottom where all this kind of river rock is and all this loose sand and stuff? 
Next one. What do you think, why would those acacia trees be blooming right in the middle of the desert? What happened there? There was flood. There was water. There was lots of water there to have those. If you, if you zoomed back out of that thing, that's the only green you'd see for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. So the two words for sand is, is there's one is sand for the, of the seashores, like, you know, your descendants will be as numerous as the sand in the seashores, that kind of sand, like the sand uh, that would be around the Sea of Galilee, the sand that would be in the Mediterranean uh, on the coast, there's that kind of sand. And then the other kind of sand is this eroded, flaky, not stable, not cool stuff to build on sand. And that's the kind of sand that he's talking about. When you also think about this passage, you know, and let's do a little uh, review. There is, uh, in almost all the parables, there is uh, what we call a remez. And if you haven't been with us for a while, you're like, remez? What is that? Well, remez is a hint. A remez is a hint. It's a tieback to somewhere else in the previous scriptures that will help you get a better understanding of what's going on. So just like all of you, when you were studying this this week, because you knew we were going to be preaching on the wise and foolish builder, right? You guys all read through this, and then you went, of course, Job 20, duh. Yeah, I didn't do that either. Uh, I asked Marty and uh, Aaron, and so they helped me. Uh, and so when we looked at that stuff, and Marty and Aaron started digging this, like, wait a minute, maybe that could be the remez, yeah, that kind of makes sense that it would be the remez in Job 20. So let's, let's dive into Job 20 a little bit. So Job 24 through 8. Surely you know how it has been from of old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief. Mirth is like success. The success of the wicked is brief. And the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Uh, through the, the, the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the cloud, he will perish forever like his own dung. Anytime you can say like his own dung from a stage, it's pretty awesome. Just so you know. I think that's why we put this in there. No, think about, I wonder, let's, let's think, I wonder if Jesus would be tying anything back. Was there any sermon that we discussed that would be tied to Pride. Did we talk about uh, the log in your own eye? Huh. Hmm. That's good. What happens to that person again? If they have pride of the godless person reaches the heavens and his head touches a cloud, but he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Like a dream, he flies away. No more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. And let's jump forward a little bit further into Job. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left of his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt and the earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house. Wait a minute. Did we just talk about floods carrying off a house and where you're supposed to build your house? A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. So Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount 
you're a Jew, you're sitting there, you're tying it back to possibly Job, and you're tying it back to a flooded house that gets torn off and of its foundations is gone, and it's because they were wicked. So if we go back to the text here, and it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock, not in the Wadi, not in the loose sand that will get taken away. And if you build your house in the loose sand, you are unwise. And if you are unwise, you are wicked. If you are unwise, you are wicked. So as you're thinking about this, where is this taking you? What, what is happening here? If you choose to listen to Jesus' words but not put them into practice, there is an impending doom coming for you. So, what do we do? When someone is struggling as Christians, we pray for them, right? And we pray for them where we want to give them, here's, let's see if you guys know this, and this is not bad, I'm not beating anybody up, I've done this prayer before. You know, somebody's really struggling and, and you're just like, oh man, Lord, I pray for the peace that, what did you say? Passes all understanding. Give that person the peace that passes all understanding. Give them the peace um, inoculation shot. And what is the peace that passes all understanding as we dive into all of those things? And what do we really want for that person? We want them to have wisdom. We want them to be able to understand. And so when you and I sit there and we pray for wisdom for somebody, God gives you wisdom. He gives them wisdom. Look at Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 14. It says, this is Solomon. Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom. That's my Solomon impression. Wait, turn my thoughts. Okay. Uh, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what he's already done? I saw wisdom is better than folly. Just as light is better than darkness. Wait a minute, light and darkness. Did we talk about that one already? Did we, was that in the treasures in heaven? I think it was. Light and darkness. It's there again. That's weird. Uh, the wise have their eyes in their head, which I think is a fantastic place for your eyes. <laughs> right in your head. It's a good spot for them. If they're out of your head, um, while the fool walks in darkness. Well, yeah, those fools, they do walk in darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads and the fools walk in darkness. Good, we're done. We don't have to read any more. But Solomon's sitting there thinking, so wise have eyes in their head. Okay, cool. The, the fools walk in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. The same fate overtakes both the wise and the foolish. Because you are wise, because you are a Christian, which is a name, hopefully you're godly, you act godly and not just have the name of Christian on you, does not mean that you're immune to problems. Actually, if we think about it and we go back and we look in your notes and you look at, at this uh, wise and foolish builder again, it looks like to me that it says that... Uh, that everyone hears these words of mine and does them like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came. So even if you built your house on the rock, the rains are still coming. 
And the winds blew and beat on that house. So even if you are a Christian, even if you act godly, you still got stuff coming. Like all of us sitting right in here, at some point have some heartache in front of us. If we're wise, we build our foundation on the rock. Because we, have you ever heard that saying, you need to dig your well before you're thirsty? No? Nobody's heard that saying, just me? Okay. Bad example. Let's think of a different one. No. You got to dig your well before you're thirsty. Well, what happens if you wait till you're thirsty till you start digging? You're going to get more thirsty. You think you're going to dig a great well? Well, what happens when you have problems coming? Should you be prepared? Should you, do we, can we all agree that we probably have some problems and heartaches coming our way? That we're going to probably make some big mistakes? Like we haven't made all of them already? We haven't arrived because we got the piece that passes understanding pill? Right? We're still digging through all that. So who does the storm hit? Both of them. But wisdom... What happens to the storm that hits the wisdom, or that hits the, the, the house that's built in the wadi? It collapses, and great is the fall of it because they weren't built on a foundation. Think about this. Go back and think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed there is translated to happy. We can put that on the screen if we want to. Uh, happy are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I feel very happy about that. Happy are those who mourn. Really? I didn't really want to be mourning. How can I be happy about that? Something was taken from me. I lost, and I lost big. And I'm supposed to be happy about that, God? For they will be comforted. Okay, well, I like that part. Next. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek, the people who have power, but hold it under restraint. Happy are the meek, the people who have power, who, have, who, could, who could be prideful, but they hold it under restraint. Who could cut somebody off and take from somebody else, but they hold it under restraint. Happy are them, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, happy are those who are hunger and who thirst for it. Yeah, I'd love to be happy when I'm hungry. Let's go all the way to the bottom. Happy are you when people insult you. I don't get it. I don't like to be insulted. When they persecute you falsely, I don't like to be persecuted falsely. When they say all kinds of evil things against you, I'm not happy when those things happen. The same way they said they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How can we be happy in this? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way those who persecuted the prophets were persecuted before you. So there's a reward in heaven for this persecution. Let's look at some, some more scriptures. First Peter. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. The fiery ordeal. How many people in here have been in a fiery ordeal and felt tested? 
right? As though something strange is happening to you. I thought I had the peace that passes understanding pill. I thought I became a Christian and everything was fine. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Are you willing to go through the things that you have to go through in order to rejoice in God's glory? It says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of, of the glory and God rests on you. How many people wants God, want God's spirit and glory to be resting upon them? Right? How many people want to go through the stuff you have to go through to make that happen? Oh, a couple of you. Good. Well, good. More mature than me. No. Good for you guys. And you think about this. How do you handle the storms? Do you know more about your fantasy football team and their performance? I don't play it anymore, but I used to be in like three leagues uh, and yelling at players because they got hurt or something like that. You know, that's great. Now, do you know more about the fantasy football team stats than you do about these words that will, if you don't obey them, will take you and your family and everything you got going on to impending doom? Are you more excited about your new favorite TV show that's coming up than you are excited about these words? Are you preparing? Are you digging your well before it's thirsty? Before you're thirsty. Does that make sense now? Yeah. Right? Let's look at James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Welcome, ladies, to the conversation. This was just for the dudes, but now you're invited. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How many of us need perseverance? We've got to let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Well, it appears I have some more work ahead of me as I am lacking in patience and love and peace and joy and kindness, all of those things. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives it generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So, Lord, give me wisdom. I need help in this situation. I'm desperate. And he's like, here you go. Not that kind of wisdom. The one that gets me out of trouble. Well, here, let me send, let me send Jay next to you. Jay's going to come up next to you, and he'll help you walk through this because he's done it before, and he can help you walk through this. No, not that kind of wisdom. You have the story about the drowning guy, right? You guys have heard this one? He's praying, praying, the flood's coming, it's up to his knees, a boat comes by, says, come on in, it's up to his chest, another boat comes by, he says, no, the Lord's going to save me, I'm going to be fine. And then he's gurgling and he's barely coming out, a helicopter comes by and throws down, he says, no, I believe the Lord has faith, he's going to save me, and boom, he drowns and he's in heaven and he asks God, why, God, did I drown? I believed you were going to save me. I sent two boats and a helicopter for you. Got to grab on somewhere, and where are you grabbing on in community? Where are you going to grab on? Because we know that the flood and the rainwater is going to hit us both. Both the wise and the foolish 
What are you doing to prepare for that in your Christian walk? What are you doing to prepare for that in your marriage? You're going to go to the marriage conference. It's going to be awesome. But are you putting stuff in the bank for when the tough time's coming because Jesus tells us they're coming? Romans, finished off here, last one. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your life is a movie. All movies have certain plots. You guys remember the movie with Jim Carrey called The Majestic? About that theater? You guys remember that one? Yeah, no, you don't. You know why? Because it was horrible because it was just about happy things and there was nothing bad that happened in that movie. There was no, uh, nobody needed a hero. There was nobody that was a villain. It was, a, it was his worst grossing mo movie of all time and most of us don't even know what it is. How about one of my favorites? Anybody seen the movie Rudy? Well, let's think about Rudy. Let's think about that, and then you can put your life in your movie. Okay, let's think about Rudy. So what happened first in, in Rudy? You know, we figured out that he wasn't a good enough athlete to get recruited by Notre Dame or any school. He had a lot of heart. I've been told that before. Uh, <laughs> that's a nice way of saying <laughs> your talent is lacking, but you have a lot of heart. <laughs> you have a lot of heart. Right? So he was not athletic enough. What a bummer. Not going to make it. He was not smart enough. You're going to work at the steel mill just like your brothers and uncles and everybody else, and that's where you're going to work because that's what we do. That's what the Rudigers do. We don't belong at Notre Dame. You're not smart enough. You're not athletic enough. And then what happens? What do we get going? Well, he doesn't give up right then. And he goes to the community college across from Notre Dame, leaves the job, tells us, no, I'm going to do this. And he goes and he works his tail off and he gets to paint helmets, kind of. And then um, he works his tail off and finally gets good enough grades to get accepted into Notre Dame. And what happens? <laughs> Super stoked. Everybody's excited, right? And so he gets to go to Notre Dame. And then what does he get to do? He gets to try out and be a walk-on at Notre Dame. And guess what he is? He's a tackling dummy. He makes the practice squad. You know what that is? You're the guy they don't care if he gets hurt. Right? At Notre Dame, these monsters are just crushing him and killing him. But he has hope that someday all he wants to do is walk out of the tunnel. And someday, and, and his coach says, you know what, Rudy, you've been working your tail off so hard. Someday you're going to walk out this tunnel. Your last game, when you're, you, I'll let you walk out the tunnel and just wear a jersey. And then the coach leaves. And his goal is fading away. And he wants to quit, doesn't he? And why doesn't he quit? He has community. He has somebody that goes with him and it says, no, you're not going to quit. We've been doing this this whole time. Don't be a quitter. You're not going to quit on this thing. That's it. Don't you quit on me. We're family. We've been doing this for three years. We've got a great edge, you know. All that stuff. And then what happens? There's the new coach. And the new coach doesn't care or know about the promise that the old coach made about this guy who is never going to be good enough to play, who gets, who gets to do that. And what does the community do then for him? 
You remember the scene? They're walking up and they give their jerseys. Coach, Rudy can have my spot. Coach, Rudy can have my spot. The community comes around him. And what do we remember at the end of the movie? Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. He gets to walk out of the tunnel and then he even gets to play. That's a good movie, right? Welcome to your life. You have a movie in your life. You were probably told you weren't good enough. You were probably told you weren't athletic enough. Smart enough. You know, the Gray family, we're just happy if you graduate high school. (laughs) Got two goals for you, Josh. Two goals. Don't get anybody pregnant and graduate high school. That was the grand expectations for Josh Gray. Hey, aim low, you hit him, right? So anyway, um, I don't know. What, wow, what do we, how do we get to that one? That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> okay. So when you think about what God is saying here, and he's wrapping this thing up for you, he's telling you problems are coming. They're going to hit both houses. Here's how, here's how we're going to react to those. You're, if you want it to be stable when those problems come, you're going to have community around you. Why do we scream and j- jump up and down about you getting plugged in and Sunday is not enough? Because I know you got problems coming. And if everybody in here had problems coming, they're like, hey, Josh, we need you. Guess what? Not enough for me to go around. We want you in community with people for when the problems come because they're coming. And we want you to dig that foundation on the rock, which is community, which is his word, right? Because they're coming, but he wants you to be prepared. Let's uh, take this time to go to communion. As we go to communion, we have an open table. So if you're going to serve that communion, thanks for getting that. We have an open table for communion. If you're visiting with us and you're like, yep, I know Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. Welcome. Please join us. If you're visiting and somebody said, come to church, we got coffee and you came in here and you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about, but he was kind of entertaining. Um, but you don't need this. This isn't going to, this isn't going to change your life. You won't know what, what, it, what it really means, but we'd love to talk to you about that afterwards and you can just let it pass by. So let's talk about some implications. Wrapping up this series, let me look at implication. Building your house on the rock of Jesus's teaching doesn't eliminate the storms. Fair enough. Anybody been a Christian here for more than like 10 years? Anybody has had no problems at all for the last 10 years while you were a Christian? (laughs) What? Problems are coming. But what it does do is it gives the storm meaning. And it gives you character to weather it well. We're building men and women of character at real life. We want you to have that character available of that deep well when we have to draw on it. What is right? What's the proper thing to do here? I don't know. Let me ask some folks. Let me ask the Lord. Next one. True happiness comes when we endure trials well. Not when we run and avoid, uh, and avoid them. I was super convicted about this as I was thinking about this last night. And my last couple of years have been rough. Lots of problems. 
And what have I ran from? What am I avoiding? And you know what's the weird thing about my problems? As I've avoided them, they're still there. It's like, uh, I heard Aaron use this analogy, it's like dirty dishes in a sink. You go in there and there's this mountain of dirty dishes. You're like, Phew. No, thanks. I'm going to go into the living room, far away from these dishes. And then you go back in there to get something to eat, and what's still there? The dirty dishes. When you run and avoid your problems, they're still there. They're not going away. They like to hang out with you. So we're gonna t- you're going to tackle those, and you may need community to do that. Next one, more of a question. What part of your experience are you avoiding because you believe it's too painful? You guys in here have some legitimate hurts. They're legitimate to you. How long do you want to carry those? How long do you want to carry them by yourself? Maybe people have carried them with you in the past, but you need another, another run with it because they're weighing you down again because they are like a Klingon. They just stuck with you, right? So what are you avoiding because you believe it's too painful? And the last one. God's promise is not that suffering won't be painful. You don't get the peace that passes all understanding pill and you're okay and it doesn't hurt anymore. But that he can redeem it and give it meaning. You know that song, Our Redeemer Lives? Right? To redeem it. To give it meaning, to make it matter. That you didn't go through it for nothing. We'll go through a lot of stuff, but we don't want to go through it for nothing. My brother-in-law has suckered me into doing Spartan races two years ago. I'm 41-year-old, out-of-shape dude. First thing we did was this beast, which is the long one. Welcome. Went through this suffering and pain. Guy falls off, this guy in front of me falls off the first obstacle, compound fractures his leg. We're a mile in. I was like, that was great. <laughs> but you know what I got to do? There was suffering and pain. And here's a side note. Anytime you have to eat some goo or gel or something in the, min- in the middle of an activity, it's too much. <laughs> and I remember running like that, well, walk slash running six hours later or whatever it was, down mile, and I remember it just, oh, oh, get cramping up in the calf. Please, Lord, don't let that one cramp up. Okay, whew. Oh, oh, in the quad. You know, here's the thing. There's lots of trials and tribulation. I proved some things to myself, but you know what I got to do it with? I got to do it with community. I made a memory with my brother-in-laws out that we'll never forget. But pain comes. We find problems. We look for those things, but, but pain comes. But what is the result of that? We want the, the ending of the Rudy story in our own lives. And God gives us a good one. He gives it through us, through his body, through his blood. He is going to redeem your problems. Through people, through his word, we can trust on that. So the night he was betrayed, he held the bread. And he said, take this and eat. This is my body. Lord, redeem us. And then he took the cup and he said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. Redeem us, Father. Lord, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thanks for this amazing series. 
the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for opening it up for me personally and uh, for everyone in here, Lord. We want you to be, uh, we need you. We got to have you because we know stuff's coming. And I am scared to death to do it by myself. I need you and I need your people, Lord. So Father God, I just ask for that upon everyone here, that we would seek, seek you and we would seek your community. We love you. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.